Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week I am talking to Adam Yardley for the second part of our conversation. Uh, we are meeting in Well Connected Cafe in Glebe. Give them a shout out because they're providing us with a space to work in. Um, this has been an interesting week for me uh, because I wrote an article and it went a little bit, I guess, minor viral. What do you call that? It went common coldy. Uh, I didn't want to write the article. I write articles for SBS comedy online sometimes. And part of what I like writing about those articles is just silly, funny joke articles. But it's been this initiative, the SBS comedy website, has been going for about uh, six months since the beginning of the year now. And they've started to become aware of things like page clicks and page views. Um, Which, I don't know how I feel about that, really, to be honest. I don't know how I feel about being driven by... It's not a commercial enterprise, SBS. If if there's anywhere in the world that could have an obscure uh, corner to do interesting things that is not reliant on people's clicks it should be SBS comedy online but I think data drives everybody now and I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing the thing that I'm thinking about is the the way Playboy used to publish really interesting articles and people would say oh I read Playboy for the articles and if you tracked people's eyes on the Playboy magazines I would imagine the majority of eyes the majority of the time were not looking at the articles. But Playboy provided this amazing forum for people like Hunter S. Thompson and just genius writers to, in a completely uncensored way, write these pieces that were actually genuinely interesting. And the kind of aspirational idea that there there was a space for interesting articles and that Playboy had interesting articles and people would buy Playboy allegedly for the interesting articles, the fact that they then spent the majority of the time looking at not the interesting articles is doesn't negate the fact that there were that those things were of value and then people did read them or some people read them, not as many. If you're tracking this data and you're tracking people's basest instincts and you're tracking you're, you're reducing people's ability to lie to themselves, which seems like it should be a good thing, but I don't think it is. I think we need to aspire to be better than we are. I, I think we need to, you know, shoot for perfection even if we know that it's never going to be possible because if we shoot higher than we could ever achieve then we'll achieve higher than we would have done if we were all like, oh, well, everyone just wants to look at Kim Kardashian's ass. Does that make sense? I don't know. But the point is, <laughs> the point is, after writing a number of silly articles um, for this website, which were a lot of fun, uh, the editor of the article, se- of, the, of the website, a lovely guy, an old friend of mine, he said, well, we've had a couple of articles that have really shot through the roof in terms of clickbait, a couple of um, articles about sex and a couple of articles about politics. I was wondering if you could write an article on women in comedy. Uh, (laughs) Now, if you listen back to the episode I did with my brother, Henry, you'll understand that I am a bit ambivalent about this women in comedy thing. 
I, I mean, not that I, not that I'm ambivalent about the the idea that it's a good thing to have women doing comedy, but that I'm. He, he has a point that I argued with in that in that podcast about the fact that writing these articles about women in comedy or speaking about feminism in forums where your audience is well educated and liberal minded can come across or can feel or can be self-indulgent and pointless a sort of a self-congratulatory circle jerk we all believe this and everyone who doesn't believe this is stupid which may well be true but doesn't change or fix anything so um when the editor asked me to write this article on women in comedy i was torn and reluctant there are a lot of articles that have been written on women in comedy that are very good and comprehensive and uh, academic and funny uh, really at the same time but that's one of the things about academia it's it's sort of dry so I thought well I can write an accurate article but it won't be funny or I can write a funny article it's unlikely to really um, cover the incredible complexities of this loaded issue Um, you know much as much though you'd like to say uh, that females in comedy is not a genre it's not like saying saying I don't like women who do comedy I don't like female comedians it's not like saying I don't like heavy metal it's like saying I don't like guitars your distaste has to be so broad as to be almost meaningless because there's so many different kind of kinds of music that can be made with guitars I don't know but I wrote this article and I kept it uh, very personal because I didn't want to fall into the trap of, of preaching. I kept it to my personal experience. I uh, tried to describe how I felt in a very particular instance and it seems to have had a good reception and I've only had a couple of rape threats off the back of it, which is nice. Huh. Um, that said, I will, this has gone for a bit longer than my normal introductions do, tell me if you like that or not, email me on alicerfraser at gmail.com, I'm trying to introduce a few more structured segments to the podcast, I think it works better when there's a bit of structure, but uh, for now I'm going to be having a conversation with Adam Yardley, and I hope you enjoy it, Tea with Alice. in mathematics uh, move this pepper shaker from here to here okay done move this pepper shaker from here to here the problem has been reduced to one previously solved and the idea is that the only way you can possibly build up mathematics because you can't do everything from first principles all the time is to triple check the robustness of things you've already done and then take them for granted and okay. something I find aggravating on the internet is people constantly nudging for your assumptions only for the purposes of slowing you down. Mm. And I know this is a big thing in like the feminist discourse of like, it's not my job to educate you. Okay. No, it doesn't make it doesn't make you clever to reject people's assumptions unless you have some idea what you're actually talking about. Mm. 
Okay, so and when you say, make, make it more explicit how this is related to feminism. Um, okay, so... Give me an example of this argument. Hmm. Well, things like, um, although the majority of victims of violent crime are men, uh, men are also the great majority of perpetrators. Mm-hmm. And this is something you can find out just by counting. Yeah. And yet, in some comment section somewhere, there's always going to be someone who will say, Oh, really? Where'd you get those stats? Doesn't this mean... No. No, it doesn't mean anything other than what is said in the article. And just, like, if you don't believe in counting, we can't reason with you. Yeah. Or, yeah, the, um, the argument when people talk about the glass ceiling... When people say, or, or people say that women are paid less for doing the same jobs as men do, then they say, well, what about the glass basement, where men do the majority of dirty and dangerous work in society, mm. and uh, therefore they tend to do the jobs that are paid higher because those are the risk. And that's a two, two problems with that. One mm. is that's not the ones who are making the money. The people yeah. who are making the most money are the CEOs and executives and they get there because of existing power structures yeah. as well as behavioural and social and, and biological things that predispose them towards um, risk taking and bossy behaviour mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the social reasons are behind that risk taking and bossy behaviour or that reward those, that risk taking and bossing behaviour are that's the risk taking and bossy behaviour that we associate with bosses who are men and then also, um, we don't punish men for risk-taking and bossy behaviours in the same way as we punish women for risk-taking and bossy behaviours. So it's not enough to say to women, just be more risk-taking and bossy. Corporate women, just take testosterone. Just take testosterone and then yep. you will be equal on the playing field with men. Yep. Then you because won't be bossy, you'll, you'll be legally. Yeah, let's see, the, the, it doesn't work like that because women who behave like men don't get treated like men. Which is another reason why the... Like, I am a big subscriber to this in the comedy thing, and I'm wrong. When somebody says, oh, you're a woman in comedy, how does that make you feel? And I say, well, it doesn't matter. I just have to be as good as the next man on stage. And then I disprove the assumption that I'm not funny. That's actually not true. I have to be funnier to be seen as equally funny. Part of what people find funny is, you know, you, you've seen people who walk on stage and get laughs. Yeah. Jamoan is a great example, like probably the best example. He walks on stage, before he's opened his mouth, people are already laughing. Mm, mm. He normally pushes that out for a minute or two, mm, standing mm. on different stages, making cute little faces. Before he's said anything, he's funny. Mm. And that makes anything that he says funnier. Mm-hmm. Hey. Um, that was a, the excellent Bridie Connell, who's a... Oh, very good. Yes, yeah, improviser and, and good person. Uh, just walking into the cafe that we're in. But... Is the music ruining this, by the way? Do you I have no check? idea. Yeah, quickly check, because we can always move on. Okay. I know it's... You want to listen? Okay, stop, pause. It's fine? It's fine. Um, I'll pop a bit of um, do-do-do-do mm-hmm. into the middle there. Um, oh, I've turned up the volume slightly, but... That should be good. Um, what were we talking about? Before Bridie Connell, 
food. Your weird way of eating toast. Mm-hmm. And um, it's an optimal way of no. Um, we were talking about first it was being bossy versus being leaderly, men and women, and then Jim Owen coming on stage and everyone laughing just because he's Jim Owen and inherently yeah. funny. So and the... no woman can try that, you reckon? No, no. Some women can. Uh, you get women who do that by um, hagging up. You know, if you think of the early female comedians, that you often have them in fright wigs, exaggerating their ugliness mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, rather than uh, being pretty. Um, and when you had the trend for like large women to be celebrated as comedians because they're non-threatening um, and lesbians yep. people who dress in a particular way who are non-threatening as women mm. um, which are you know there's a whole politics of that as well that's complicated but <clears throat> the, the politics of individuality is pretty tricky to get around right so how do you how do you reconcile the idea that there are these subclasses of women comedians with the counter argument that just they're just all individuals trying to find their way in the crazy world. They are, but they're not treated as such. And then also they're not. Because mm. the class of womanhood is something that defines you as far as it defines you. Right. Anything you do beyond that is a subclass. Mm. <laughs> Anything you do that beyond that is a subclass until you come down to the class that is just your individuality. Right, sure, sure, sure. Or it's not as though your individuality it's not as though your individuality can exist without all of those other things feeding into it. And then how you play with how they feed into it is something that you have control over hmm. to a certain extent. But if I go out and I pretend that I'm not oh. um that's alright. Um if I pretend that I'm not who I am, mm. if I just tell, tell jokes as though I were a man. But you can't even do that. Even men don't tell jokes as though they were men. You know, fat ethnic looking guys tell different jokes from good looking white guys. You mm. know, part of what you have to do when you're on stage is address how the audience perceives you and either play with that or work against that. Right, which is where that, that hack line comes from of, um, I know what you're thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, because I mean that's a very a simplified, boiled down thing of something that comedians do actually have to do. Think of Tim Minchin. Mm. He was a preppy white boy cabaret musician. Yeah. They are a dime a dozen. Yeah. Private school educated, I think. Mm-hmm. University educated. Mm-hmm. Clean cut. Yeah. You know, those guys who like witty, funny, you know. Yeah. Vaguely operatic musical theatre co- comedy music. Yeah. Smart. They're not interesting to an audience. It was when he did the wild yeah. hair and the eyeliner and the barefoot <clears throat> that it was all of a sudden this kind of more edgy look. So he played with his looks to get that synergy. It wasn't as though his talent changed, mm. although he got better over time, as we all do, mm. if we put any work into it. It was his consciousness of his perception Mm. that changed so in America I have Mm. a friend who's just come back from America and he was saying that in America every colour except pink belongs to boys Mm. when it comes to like babies clothes kids clothes Mm. so are you about to mount an argument that women's 
identities, public identities, are similarly constrained? That there are fewer ways you can... No, I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. And I think it is broadening out. Certainly, you have more and more options available to you. There are more kinds of female roles on television, in movies, and therefore on stage. The idea of what a woman is, is broadening. Yep. And that's a good thing. Um, but to pretend that you don't have to be aware of it... Is fancy. Yeah, it's, um, it's, the, it's the complex interlocking of the idea that if a woman is alone at night, she shouldn't have to worry about her safety. Right. Uh, and it is, but it is not victim-blaming to say, I don't think I am going to... Careful. Yeah, I need to be careful <laughs> with this. I don't think I would be to blame if I were raped while walking home late at night. Right. That said, I am careful when I walk home late at night. Not as careful as I should be, perhaps, according sure. to some, because yep. I like to feel safe and I like to walk around like I'm safe. Yeah. But I won't walk into certain, you know, things that feel a bit creepy or Skin things that bars. look a bit creepy or yeah. little alleyways I might walk on the... I might stick to freeways when I'm walking at night or... I won't walk through a park late at night. That is not me saying that were I to walk through a park, I would deserve to be raped. Right, good, yes. Or that I would be to be blamed, but I should also be careful. Yeah. I need to be aware of what the reality of the situation is, even if I think the reality is bullshit. Yeah. Even if I, if I think I shouldn't have to. It, it annoys me that I have to worry about these things. Sure. But I'm not going to stand on principle to the point where it actually affects my ability to be on stage and be funny. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, there are two extremes. And it's a good way of showing that individual solutions are not always great society-wide solutions. So, an individual solution of, ah, oh, it's a pretty bad neighbourhood, I wouldn't go there. Yeah. If everyone adopts that solution, then what you end up with is a ghetto. Yeah. Ideally, you just put a fence around it so everyone knows not to go in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I am, I think, on the wide edge of pushing safety out into the night. <coughs> I am a right. clean-cut, well-dressed young woman walking alone at night. Mm. And therefore, I am making the streets safer. <laughs> Absolutely. By doing that. But at the same time, yeah, it's, it's more dangerous for me, but maybe less dangerous for everyone. And I'll yeah. take that to a certain point, you know. Good on you. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll only take to that to the point at which I feel comfortable. Actually, on the topic of public safety, yesterday I had a startling change of... a revelation of, of how having bees changed things. Mm. Because I was walking to Maracool Metro, coming across the park... Be your baby for anyone who hasn't. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Beatrice is my baby. She's one. Um, so if I got knocked out and left on the pavement she probably wouldn't have a lot of ideas of what to do next anyway there was a guy running away or sort of stomping away from two guys dressed in sushi bar outfits who were saying hey you know give that back come back and he was saying leave me alone leave me alone um and he he walked off with like one of their wallets and phones and he was acting as if he was the victim he was sort of saying oh leave me alone i'm being assaulted and, no you're not like this guy's big ugly tattooed you know it's i'm pretty sure you you know you're not expecting sympathy like you're really having to try with your with your words here but anyway my natural instinct and i've done this sort of thing before is to step up and say hey 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 
Whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm down. What's going on? You know, tell me. Hold your baby like a human shield. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the thing is, Beatrice was in the in the pram, and it's not it's not that I was necessarily worried that he's going to deck me because there were three of us at that point. But I thought I can't I can't step too far away from the pram. That just mm. feels completely wrong. Mm. What I have to do in this situation is sort of leave it to these guys who clearly they're not too out of control, mm. and just keep watching and, yeah. and mentally be record a witness, it and, yeah. and be a witness. Um, but that's a shame because I used to like. You used to like throwing yourself into conflict. Yeah, like, yeah, I did. I Feeling like a big, strong big, big hero guy, yeah. man. Yeah. Well, like the hero the narrative to... is a powerful one for you. It is, and I liked having the excuse to, you know, not get in fights exactly, but just get in fights. Get in fights. Yeah. Win fights on behalf yeah. of other people, so uh, you didn't feel like a violent fuckhead. Exactly. Exactly. You felt like a hero. Exactly. Yeah. It's like if you take away the moral justification behind any superhero, he's just a sociopath. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. A, a genuine... Batman and I like a... it when Batman stuff plays with the fact that he is proper crazy. Like, the best Batman narratives are the ones that acknowledge that he's genuinely bent yeah. psychologically. He's super rich. He's not going about solving things the optimal way. He just prefers to bash up street criminals. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um... It's not I'm Batman's Batman. Institute for, you know, social corrective education. No. <laughs> in the in the recent in the dark uh, was it Dark Knight Begins? No, Batman Begins. Oh Batman's um, in uh, Batman's invested in a lot of uh, on the street policing presence and uh, yeah, quite a lot of street lines. lighting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, what are they called? A, a community officer to walk with each police pair. Excellent, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, no, no. They, they, they have a little throwaway line for that with Raz al Ghul saying, we tried to ruin Gotham through economics, but the Wayne Corporation nearly bankrupted itself uh, with charity programs. I don't think that's true. Or at least that's not canonical. No. It was much more of a sort of phallic fantasy. I'm going to dress my penis up as a bat, and it's going to go back <laughs> and get criminals. Interestingly, the bats are the only ones that carry AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> so he's using biological warfare is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, cool. He's not above that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna sit still while I while I have sex with you. That's <laughs> uh, so. Yeah. So anyway, I am Batman. Thank goodness this is a podcast and not censored in any way. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, that was a a revelatory moment because I didn't want to go more than a step away from B, and I my my first priority was like I'll protect the baby, and if he comes near me. I'll um, hit him with the baby. I'll <laughs> hit him with the baby. Hold her by the legs. She's got a big, heavy head. Yep. You know, it's only soft on the top. Yeah. You know. um, yeah. No, actually, I can't even joke about that. Oh, Why? I don't know. It's just, it just hurts your little heart. Yeah, it hurts my little heart. Yeah, you used to be so callous. I know. I know. Now you can't even joke about your little baby's soft head. Only be... <laughs> <laughs> it's not like she can fight back. Oh well, she has one trick, which is she sort of beckons to be picked up. And then as you stoop over to pick her up, she launches a little soft head into your chin. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Damaging me, only herself. Makes me well up with pride and pain every time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Mm. So, you're making the street safer, but within a sensible margin, right? You're not, yeah. you're not putting fences around ghettos. No. But you're also not white-knuckled, walking along well-populated routes to the train station each time. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I do think partly feeling safe plays into being safe. Yeah, sure. Um, in, a, in a way where if you're walking confidently and you look like you're going somewhere, it helps. 
You don't scream victim. You remember I can tell a victim by the angle of her head? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. This is this is true. Uh, ex- explain that for our listeners. I think I've spoken about it before, but it's worth reiterating. I want to, except I can't remember if it's Ted Bundy or Al Bundy. Al Bundy is the... Well, they did a study with a series of, after this thing that was said by Al Bundy, they, they did a study is it, of... Is it Ted Bundy? Because uh, one of them is Ted a Bundy. Al character. Bundy yeah, is yeah, the... Right. Ted Bundy is the uh, serial killer. Al Bundy is the serial offender of, of good taste. taste yeah. He may have done some strangling as well, but we don't know yet. Yeah, it's secret sort of, strangling. Yeah, it's a sort of rough house. Well, I've got to get through a whole lot of other people. And, yeah. Basically, every other person who was ever on television needs to be investigated. <laughs> so, uh, let's just say that Ted Bundy is the one we're, we're talking about. Ted Bundy, in court, delivered the chilling line, I can tell a victim by the angle of her head. Yeah. Mm. And there's this... Uh, yeah, that's an interesting one, because it's something that other predatory assault kind of um, convicts have said they showed them a series of videos of people walking and they said which ones they would attack mm. and the one, the majority of the ones that they said they would attack had been attacked before mm. so there's something about a, a way that you know and that's also you know you don't want to get into victim blaming there no. but it's it, it's an interesting correlation mm. whether it's something that once you've been attacked you walk more scared or whether it's something that like just predators can kind of smell at. I just don't think you can go wrong walking confidently mm. Mm. and not looking scared. Um, unless you're not looking where you're going. Unless you're not looking where you're going, which I often don't. Mm. Um, I may well get run over by a car at some point. Um, it's gonna, you know, a lot of a lot of the friends that are close to me say, "How do you survive when I'm not here?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because I get pulled back from... But I think that's... I don't think that's... I walk into cars when I'm alone. No. I think it's when I'm talking to someone, I'm concentrating on you them. you engage fully and earnestly with your friends. Yeah. And so then they have to pull me back from cars. But when I'm alone, I'm not engaging in that way. So I'm looking out for cars. Mm. When I turned up, I put a rattlesnake in your bag, by the way. Did you? <laughs> yeah. um, but what, what, where are we going? Where, where, what was happening with this? Well, we were... There's Talking about else. the responsibility of women to change society by putting themselves at risk. <laughs> no, but I mean, I guess there is that there's that level of pushing out the boundaries of what what people will accept on stage from your behaviour and what what their assumptions are about you, right? And how far you can play with those and undermine those before it just becomes white noise. So you have to refer to things that people understand in order to explain things that people don't understand. Sure, absolutely. Analogies are progress. Sort of. I am like this in this way and not like this in that way. And that's something that people can understand. Right. But if you just go, I'm completely outside of your sphere of experience, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't compute. You see people try that every now and then in raw comedy, right? They, they, they try and just be completely alien completely alien yeah. yeah and sometimes it works and sometimes mostly it doesn't mostly it doesn't yeah. um so yeah that's that was my point i guess there was something that that's fell off point. my brain oh, part way through that so when you are doing comedy and you have this structured idea of starting with something familiar and then gradually showing that you're not just put together from different familiar components there is some uniqueness to the arrangement yeah um when do you stop trying to be familiar? Is it timed or is it just after a few laughs? Or um, It's just a slow progress, I think. The, more, the longer you have on stage, the more risks you can take. Mm-hmm. Uh, the darker you can go. 
the more willing people are to give you the benefit of the doubt, the longer you can go without laughs. There's a, you know, in theatrical shows of about an hour, you just can't. Some comedians do it more or less, but even they have to do the, change up the pacing because people cannot laugh hysterically, continuously for an hour. Yeah. They get... Yeah. Defused. It's not even bored. They just get desensitised. Yeah, absolutely. I saw an Elliot Goblet. This is years years ago. A ten minute or fifteen minute set by Elliot Goblet. He's a one liner comedian. Mm. He tells jokes like, uh, "Have you ever wondered if the light on your fridge stays on when the door is closed?" The answer is no. And that's after seven weeks of experimentation. Mm. So it's, it's like a funny one-liner, and he I've, I've murdered it there because he's got this fantastic deadpan persona. But he never varies his persona, or he didn't that time. And anyway. he never varies his pace. He never varied his pace. There's a Sydney on that comedian night. that does the same thing, and it's amazing because the jokes don't get less funny, but you laugh at them less. It's like if you have a sex thing that yeah. makes you go mad, I like yeah. whatever it happens to be, but then someone just does that for three and a half hours. <laughs> By the end of that, that is not your sex thing anymore. No, no. Like, it's, it's yeah. done. Yeah, it's, yeah, I've explored that. But if they go, you know, up and down, vary the pace a bit, then they can, you know, keep you in this state of uh, excitement and pleasure for an extended period. Yep, 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 if yep. they stop and start. And so you, that it's just this the nature of human pleasure or human hedonism or human enjoyment is that you cannot have an unvarying state yeah. of pleasure. It becomes meaningless and so with with jokes I think if you, I mean my tendency is to start with one-liners and then stretch out and the longer the show or this spot that I have the more <laughs> the more time will come between laughs and yeah, the stronger the laughs will be yep I agree having seen having seen your show having seen the show that the has sent you spiraling down the scene so um, here's a question has yes. the the reviewer uh, contacted you at all? No, although I hoped that she would, hmm. because I don't think she was being malicious. No, that's right. Or so you... I don't think she was being malicious on purpose. Sure. I don't think she'd examined her own motives for saying the things that she said. Right. And that is the one thing that justifies this kind of boring feminist discourse. Hmm. And I say boring feminist discourse because I read a lot of feminist articles. I'm yep. hooked into that. I'm interested in it. It affects my life directly. Yep. Um, but I was I referred back to in my intro to this podcast. I referred back to my brother and the conversation I had with him, where he said it annoys him when I talk about feminist issues because right. he feels like it's being done by hundreds of people. It's being done very well. You can do other things, and you can do other things better than other people can. Whereas if you're just chiming into a massive yeah, choir, you're not doing anything interesting. And I get that. No. But it also it's it's boring not because not just because it's boring. Mm. It's boring because we're facing something that is incredibly boring. We're reacting to something that is so pervasive and so saturating. Dull and ubiquitous. Yep. And ubiquitous. And and we might respond only once in every 20 times that we get confronted with some piece of bullshit that's mm. based on our gender. Mm. And even then, reading it, you're like, oh my God, can we stop talking about this already? 
and then you go, wait a minute, we're talking about it because this is happening a lot, a lot, yeah. a lot, a lot. And then there's the other, there's another side to it that is looking to be offended. There are people who are looking to be offended, which I find, you know, yeah, yeah, at times, a, right? At times, it can be. That's the same with everything. The outrage machine. I, oh, so on Facebook, I posted that thing. Don't do not link. Do not link.com, which lets you yeah. post links to things without improving their search ranking or I think possibly giving them page views at all mm. should be ideal. And that's a good way, not only of discussing things like the um, uh, honour killing sometime justified speech that was going to be on the Sydney Opera House stage, but oh, also. Oh, see, now this is an interesting thing to talk about because I don't think we necessarily agree on this. Uh, well, let's get to that in a second. Um, it's, uh, it's a good way of circumventing the outrage machine. Yeah. Anyway. So, the outrage. you love honour killings. Ha, no. <laughs> um, what's your understanding of the situation? Um, I think he had a talk prepared to talk about the morality of killing. Mm-hmm. And he was going to bring down the scope from the state, which sanctions killing all the time if you're talking about America, to... Um, well, to some subclass of the state, like cities or, or city-states... And then bring that in further and say in the family, and then say, haha, isn't it, isn't it strange that it's only when the family is doing the killing that we all would react with revulsion? Also, you're a bunch of racists. And I think the, um, the conflation of the... The conflation of... Uh, anyway, so that's, that's what I think he was going to try and do. I think he also wanted to invoke some issues about race and sort of cultural imperialism. Um... But he didn't get the chance, because the headline put on it was just so inflammatory. See, I think he hadn't written his speech yet. Oh, wow. I don't think he's written his speech at all. Cool. I think he had a vague idea of what he wanted to talk about. He proposed something to the Festival of Dangerous Ideas, which was a different thing. And they suggested this speech title, which they've admitted to. They suggested this, and he said, oh, yeah, I can work with that. Well... I don't think he's written his speech. He's probably vaguely thought about what he was going to say. So it was a lean startup, um, fail fast model. Yeah, it was yeah. a fail fast model because people were so outraged at the title, which was deliberately inflammatory, yeah. that they couldn't hear what he was going to say. But he, I don't think he'd... Look at it this way. When's Festival of Dangerous Ideas? It's in... I don't remember. It's two months? It's too dangerous to know. Huh. It's I in a month know. or so. Right. Um... <laughs> If somebody asked you to do a TEDx speech in two months from now, would you have written it yet? No. They say, you want to be part of this? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Absolutely, yeah. Would you like to talk about how um, chess is worse than rape? Yes. Sure. I'll be answering in the negative. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you, I think that that was the situation where he's like, okay, yeah, I guess I can work okay. with that title. <laughs> Probably bring it down, as you say. Probably he would have thought along your lines. Bring it down to this idea of justify and moral, and what is morality, and we, some we consider some killing moral and some killing not moral. And what about abortions? Is that moral if it's a, that is the family deciding to, you know, deciding on the value of the life of the child? Yeah, right, you know, right, right, right. whatever it is. Like there there's plenty of yeah. there's, there's plenty of little rhetorical tricks that he could have done, and that, but he has not had the chance to because. Australia rose up as one and said no yeah and they I mean the title is outrageous mm. but I think a lot of the outrage was also fueled by the idea that for 
somebody who's fundamentalist Islamic mm. to talk about morality is so alien to our idea of what morality is that it's an outrage. So this is an example of something that I feel like it, it's been reduced to a problem previously solved. Hmm. Like, that we know that we don't agree with Islamic morality. We know that for the most part, even though killing still happens in wars yeah. um, and occasionally in capital punishment, we know we know we don't like it. Yeah. So we don't want to have to go back and revisit that because we're, we're all trying to get on with new, new, deeper, subtler moral ideas than is killing okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's not. Oh, well, but the argument is not, not is killing okay. The underlying argument is, is Sharia law okay? Is Islamic morality okay? Is being Muslim okay? Right. Which is what a lot of people reduced it to. Yeah. And it's a lot of, you know, uh, <laughs> there is an argument to be made that it is not okay. To be to, to be fun, fundamentalist yeah. Muslim or to be within a, a secular society. Right. To say that it's more important for there to be an Islamic state than for you to have an alliance to your national state, mm. that's an, a legitimate moral position to have, yep. but it's not a legitimate moral position to have if you want to be part of a society that is also want to have water secular. connected to your house and yeah, so, I mean, like, there is an argument to be made in that way where, you know, to say that you have an alliance to something other, so, something more than and other than your nation state mm. is more or less offensive depending on what nation state you live in. In France, mm. for example, it's not really acceptable because they had the French Revolution and in that French Revolution they said no religion in schools. Yep. And therefore, if you want to be a French citizen, you cannot wear a burqa in schools. Yep. I don't necessarily agree with that, but that's their setup. Yep. I think it's good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's you have to kind of decide where you want your alliance to be if you want them to be protected by the state. Yeah. Yep. 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 So I yeah, like I don't know. I I have to admit I felt a lot of cultural imperialism or cultural colonial stuff when I was in the Middle East mm. like there was a lot of stuff about the way that I was treated there as a woman yeah. I wasn't dressed immodestly or anything but the way that I was treated there really politely something like that yeah. yeah but there's something about that where I went in and were like no no we do it better which was my you know cultural whatever everyone <laughs> thinks they do it better sure. but I definitely felt like yeah we do it better that we have a better setup, we're more advanced, or whatever it is. Like that, what my brain was going that in that path of like, you guys need to learn something from us. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure they feel the same way with us. Yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe. Yeah. The 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 privileging of education, I think, is never a bad thing, and that was something that I came up against a few times. My friend there, who I was staying with, is a women's education specialist, and she's got her own ballistics vest because she's on so many kill lists. Oh my God. Because she wants women to be educated. And I cannot, I cannot be culturally relativist enough to understand or, or justify or okay. yeah. why that is not a good thing. Why anyone would want to kill my friend yeah. for yeah. saying girls should be able to go to school. <laughs> you know, I, I can't, I cannot get my head around that. No. No, I hate it. I think it's 
It's aggravating. I have a <clears throat> had an article years ago, and my politics have possibly moved a little bit beyond this, but it was unpublished in Oniswa. Which, mm. why you'd think the student newspaper would be very keen to publish all sorts of diverse opinions. And they didn't publish this one, partly because I used some real people's names in it. Um, but yeah, the, the article was, Hamas rocket attack on SIC, immediately forgiven. And it was, you know, there were, there were um, pro-Palestinian uh, people handing out flyers on campus, mm. which is fine. Yeah. Uh, but th- there was an SRC logo like sponsoring this thing, and I had a I had a pro-Palestinian friend on Facebook who I like. I, I like seeing something other than the lefty echo chamber that is most of my friends. But um, still, I don't think that Hamas wait, wait, wait. were you too don't popular. Think that you don't think pro-Palestinian is a lefty position? I do now. Now it is. Yeah, but um, but Hamas, who are extremely popular in. Palestine mm. have in their charter uh, things about just eradicating the Jews yeah. uh, until only the trees and rocks they will hide behind except the Garkad tree uh, which will say oh Abdullah there is a Jew behind me come and slay him <laughs> so delightful stuff yeah. and and yeah my article was so if Hamas were grateful for the SRC support they had a funny way of showing it because in the early hours of the morning, an ordinance of like RPGs blasted into the SSC offices. Uh, speaking from the sterilised burns unit, SSC councillor said they weren't doing anything wrong. They were just expressing their culture. My skin hurts all over. Um, and anyway, this didn't get published. It didn't get published. Didn't I, get I, published. <laughs> <laughs> See, look, no. I think that if I were born Palestinian in Palestine. I would be doing what they're doing. And if I were born Israeli in Israel, I'd be doing what they're doing. Like, I think it's one of those fucking awful positions where everybody is stressed out. Stressed out individuals do not behave well. No. And And all the time. Stressed out all the time. Israel cannot lose once. Yeah. So the surrounding, like, um, caliphate-pushing bodies can lose and lose and lose and lose and lose. They only need to win once, yep. and Israel cannot lose once. They will yep. get eradicated. Yeah. So no wonder they... Like, it's it's tactically clearly the best thing to do is respond to a few weeks of rocket attacks, respond by driving some tanks into new territory and saying, stop it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, there's... I mean, there's... Yeah, it's a, it's a horrible situation. I have a friend who spent a lot of time there, and so I'm sort of wary of, of talking about it like I know anything. But mm. uh, and a lot of the stuff that I think I know, I've absorbed from his experience there oh. as well. I'm not. I'm a man. Huh? I'm not wary. I'm a man. You're not wary. You're a man because you're less risk averse than I am because of your testosterone. Yeah. Um, Shall we talk about one more thing and then uh, shut this down? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, you made a comment, oh, yes. which I want to dig into, Ooh. which is we need to lie to ourselves uh, or just write clickbait articles. Okay, so this was actually, this is nice uh, bringing it full circle because this is what I was talking about before you arrived okay. in my little introduction. Excellent. Um, the, so we were talking about the importance of the hero narrative to you. Yes. We mentioned that, didn't we? And we didn't mention, but I think it does lurk that... The restrictions and disadvantages faced by women in the West are less apparent, but maybe not 
sorry, less apparent and less severe than restrictions faced by women in, say, the Middle East. Yes. But they're they're the type of restrictions that are hard to fight against. Yeah. Because they're not they're not obvious. Yeah. Your your level of protest is not accomplished just by tearing something off your head and throwing it on the ground. Mm. Anyway. So, um, the the thing that I was saying. So you your your hero narrative. Yes. You interfere in other people's fights. Yep. To help the person who you see as the weaker party. Yep. Um, which I think is good. I got hit in the head on the street the other day and nobody paid any attention to me at all. Um, So I would have liked to have a hero uh, person come in and be like, oi. Even just saying oi would have made me feel a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's not on. That's not on. That would have been fine. Um, But you have, I guess, I'm guessing, some violent impulses in your life. Yes. But the hero narrative is an aspirational narrative that turns those impulses into something good yes and it and and it lets you aspire to something to be more than you are right like honor killings for example <laughs> no not like honor killings you know what i mean i do yeah. and so this thing now where people can trace clicks and they can see what people are clicking on mm. means that we've exposed the fact that people lie about their what they like and don't like a lot of the time hmm People say they like interesting, complex articles about the situation in Syria. But, you know, eight out of ten times they will click on the six ways to tell a guy you love him article. Um, And that's true. And that's partly because people live busy, stressed out lives and they're going to choose the thing that feels good in the moment when they have five seconds to look at something and they don't want to feel more sadness in their day. Um, but it's also a bad trend, I think. I think we, I think us lying to ourselves about what we actually like mm. is a good way for us to get closer to being the person we're telling ourselves we are. Being 100% honest about all of your motivations and completely exposed in all of your basest feelings is not a productive thing. That is the state of being that you're right, in when you're you, severely you, yeah. depressed. Yep. When you're severely depressed, it's, it's you're defeated. conscious of the of the just patheticness of your existence, of the uselessness of anything you do, yep. of the tenuousness of any human connection you feel you have, yep. of you know, the when that's when you're depressed is when you're most realistic about your own state of being and shittiness. Yep, yep. yep. When you're hopeful and, and, oh, I can do better than this, or I can get this, or what if I... Okay, from now on I'm going to read six articles every morning, and or I'm going to do 200 steps. That aspirationalism... Yep, yep. And then you go, oh, 90% of people who say they're going to do a diet fail. And you're like, oh, <laughs> well, I better not even try. <laughs> Rather than having one month or because two months or six months. Of, yeah, I just think that there's a virtue... Not when I say lying to ourselves, I'm doing the um, festival of dangerous ideas kind of hyperbole sure, sure, sure. to to hook you in. But we are drinking green tea, so um, it's relevant. Yeah, it's a good idea. No, I I agree. So this aspirational thing, because I have this, uh, I, I have like a million Udemy courses built up, ready to go through, and I've got many more games than I'll ever play, but I'll probably leave them to later. And I've got like three or four Coursera courses. And I have that uh, familiar feeling from university. Oh, God, this is nice. I've, I've got all these courses. Now I feel like I'm falling behind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
but but to recapture the optimism of that moment when I say yes, here is twenty dollars. Teach me to you know, JavaScript fundamentals one and two. Yeah. Well, see then, if you can be uh, realistic enough to know what motivates you, and deluded enough to allow it to motivate you, right. you have to. It's a it's a fine balance being human. So, for example, I know that I'm very bad at doing exercise if I just say I'm going to do some exercise. Okay. If I arrange, I'm like, hey, let's go for a run with somebody else. I'll go and do the run. Okay. Because I'm motivated by. You know, a feeling of it's not even competitiveness of, of, of communal achievement and yep. uh, mo- I like the uh, the idea that by being there, I'm helping someone else to do something and yes. helping myself. And it's this kind of I like that kind of Me synergy, yeah. uh, which is why the other day I proposed that we talk about a particular business thing together because I don't think I'll ever do it on my own, Same here. and I totally should. Yeah, totally. but I'm not going to. Okay. So I think you need the realism enough to figure out what's going to motivate you. Yeah. And then enough delusion to go. Oh, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> okay. Uh, rather than going, ugh, it's all going to fall to pieces anyway. Yeah, right. 60 years, we'll all probably be on our deathbeds. Like, so what's the point of anything? Depressed you is like my night of the mirrors, where <laughs> yeah. you're being depressed and you go, oh, you just want to get in fights. Well, that is kind of true, so yeah, I guess it doesn't make a difference. But it actually does make a difference. It makes a difference if I'm, if I'm decking a thief. That's a lot better than just lurching out of a darkened doorway and punching someone. Punching someone. 17-year-old accountant. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and and if you're teaching your baby to, like, punch thieves rather than accountants. Yep. <laughs> or numbers. Punching numbers? I don't know. I don't or know. cones. You don't want to be... <laughs> I think that's I think that's the podcast for the, 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 the today. I believe you. Uh, thank you very much for coming, Adam. Thank you, Ali. Uh, I think we should do more of these, though. I enjoy talking to you. Oh, me too. Thanks. Cool. I'll put this out soon. Uh, Adam, anything to plug? No. He has an adorable baby. Look at it if you see it and tell it it's cute and don't tap it on the soft part of its head. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you're having tea with Alice.